0: Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. The question this time is, do the guidelines matter anymore? This question has been posed to me a couple of times recently, particularly since the new checklist that's not a checklist or guidance from the Department of Justice fraud section came out back in February. Basically, it's been posed to me a couple of times by a couple of different professionals that the guidelines are kind of old news, don't really matter anymore. You know, the Department of Justice has staked out this new territory, including The checklist that's not a checklist that go in slightly different directions, you know, cover some same ground, but but that's the definitive word, at least as of summer of 2017. Well, as you all know, I'm a biased person because I spent a few years at the sentencing commission. I have friends still at the sentencing commission. I believe in the sentencing guidelines, the organizational sentencing guidelines, and I've, you know, have put a little bit of a ch- little chunk of my soul, if you will, in the organizational sentencing guidelines. But, you know, even recognizing that bias, I, I I think there are a couple of things, and I'm just going to talk about three of them, that make me think that perhaps you shouldn't be so quick to jump ship. The first thing is something that we've talked about many times before, both on this podcast, but in several uh, discussions that I've had over the years, and, and it's, it's a common topic whenever you're discussing the guidelines. And that's the fact that the sentencing guidelines going all the way back to 1991 are sort of the underpinning of not just the guidelines themselves, but every other standard that has come since. And that includes the most recent guidance. The guidance cites the FCPA guide from the department and a few other documents, and those all cite to the sentencing guidelines. The guidelines are the font of all of this wisdom around what the expectations are, particularly from federal regulators and federal prosecutors. So the guidelines aren't going anywhere anytime soon as being the foundation, the basis by which a lot of these other standards are added. It's also true that if you look at the most recent guidance, it's very familiar because it is, again, based on the U.S. sentencing guidelines. The other thing to keep in mind is guidance from the Department of Justice, but what if you're operating outside the United States? Well, the fact of the matter is is that organizational sentencing guidelines have not only been a model for compliance standards here in the United States, but they've been a model for compliance standards throughout the world, including things like the good guidance from the OECD In their discussion around anti-corruption and what makes a successful program, it's pulled directly from the standards that were established in the organizational sentencing guidelines. It builds on it and includes things that aren't in there, but that's the start. And that's the start of all the memos going all the way back to the Holder Memorandum, all through the Philip Memorandum, the U.S. Attorney's Manual, all of the guidance that we get periodically from the Department of Justice and spend many many hours talking about and analyzing. When you're talking about compliance programs, it all starts in one place. And I haven't had the opportunity to to talk with Wei Chen, who is apparently the author of this most recent guidance from the Department of Justice. But I'm sure if you asked her what, you know, what's the start, what's the foundation, where does this all originally come from, I don't think she'd disagree with you that it's the it's the Organizational Sentencing Guidelines. So that's number one. Point number one is underpinning all of this is the work uh, of the Organizational Sentencing Guidelines. And it's true that there's more nuance and in, in more detail that's included in a lot of the additional guidance you get from the department and, and other regulators and organizations around the world. But that's meant, that's that's the way it's meant to be. That's, that's by design. The United States Sentencing Commission wants a standard that will work for all organizations no matter what size they are whether they're private private or public organizations whether they're governmental organizations whether they're you know a small organization like Morehead compliance consulting or whether they're General Electric the idea is is that any organization can adopt these fundamental pieces the seven hallmarks that we all know so well and have an effective, Program, So that's not going to go away because it's baked in to everything else. The second thing I would say is, and it's a real practical and straightforward thing, is that the guidelines aren't going to go away. And if you are constructing a risk-based program, and particularly if you're in a large, larger enterprise that has a lot of serious potential federal regulatory or legal risk— then you have to base your program on the sentencing guidelines because you could potentially be facing sentencing in the worst-case scenario under the U.S. sentencing guidelines if your organization or individuals from your organization face charges at some point for some sort of conduct that violates federal law. So that will not go away. That's where the guidelines really come into play. Their advisory, their... They are completely and totally voluntary up until the point that something goes wrong, and then they apply regardless. Now, it's true that if the Department of Justice has some internal memoranda and guidance, including the U.S. Attorney's Manual or or other memoranda— that the prosecutors may follow those memoranda when they're evaluating your program. So as they're first looking into whether there could be some conduct that might be criminal. But they may or may not apply it, and they may apply it, and still you end up with a charge. So at the end of the day, if you are putting together a risk-based program, if you're using risk management— and you have, particularly for a larger, more integrated organization, then you have to plan for the unfortunate, glass-half-empty eventuality that there could be a federal criminal sentencing. And in that case, these standards are the standards that apply. So that's one big reason why the sentencing guidelines still matter and will always matter. Regardless of what other guidance comes out from the Department of Justice or anywhere else, the last thing that I would say, and I don't know that this is going to happen, none of us do, is let's recall for those of you who followed the most recent memoranda from February, you know it it, it popped up. Uh, nobody really noticed it for a few days until it started circulating around the Twitter sphere. <laughs> Uh, and people were tweeting about it and putting it on their LinkedIn page, and it just kind of appeared out of nowhere. There was no announcement. There was no press release. It just showed up on the website one day at the Department of Justice with with no official explanation. Well, let let me ask you this. What would happen if, you know, we got on our web browser right now, went to the Department of Justice website and looked for it, and it was gone? That could happen. That could happen. It could happen tomorrow. Now, I'm not saying it will, it probably won't. I think that generally the reception that the guidance, this new guidance has received has been very positive, but it could change. And let us not remember the succession of memoranda on, for instance, the topic of corporate charging. It all started with the first holder memorandum. There's another holder memorandum that's getting a lot of talk lately in the news having to do with mandatory minimum sentencing, but the first and arguably more famous initially Holder memorandum was when Mr. Holder was the deputy attorney general back in 1999, and he released a memorandum on the prosecution of organizations. After that, there were several iterations of that memo being changed, altered, until finally what was called the Philip Memorandum was then uh, incorporated within the U.S. Attorney's Manual. The point being is that these things change. The Department of Justice changes. We now have a new Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, who's a veteran prosecutor as well. But might uh, his deputy AG or the other professionals that have take, that are now in charge of the criminal division or the fraud section of the Department of Justice take a different direction? Might they take the February guidance down from the webpage at some point? And then what does that mean? I think it's still a valuable document wherever it goes. It's a, it's a, it might always be the canon. It might not always be what's being followed, both in evaluation and certainly—and this is the thing, this is point number two again—it will not be what is determinative if there's ever any sentencing. The sentencing guidelines may change, but there's a process involved, which we talked about in another podcast if you're interested— But the sentencing guidelines are not going to just disappear or be changed by a memorandum without warning. That's one big difference as well. Now, as I said, I don't have any indication that that's going to happen. We may be looking at the checklist that's not a checklist for many years to come and continue to decipher and, and interpret and wonder about how it's going to be interpreted for uh, many more hours. And, and, I, and I as I've said before, I intend to come back and take a closer look at some of the nuance and the guidance at some point on this podcast as well. But one thing that I can tell you for sure is there will be no memo issued from the Department of Justice and no memo taken out of circulation from the Department of Justice that will have any practical effect whatsoever on the sentencing guidelines. The only thing that can have an effect on the sentencing guidelines is the commissioners of the sentencing commission voting for and making a change and sending it to Congress. And they don't do that very often, as we all know, with regards to the organizational sentencing guidelines. The last time it was done was when I was at the commission back in 2010. And before that, it was 2004. And before that, it was 1998. And before that, it was going back to the original guidelines in 1991. They don't get amended that often. And that's by design, as I said early on. They're meant to be a concrete foundation for an effective program. That was goal, at least that portion of the sentencing, organizational sentencing guidelines that have to do with an effective program, which is a very small part of the overall organizational guidelines. But it's a critical part. And that particular part has been very lightly amended. And there's a process involved in that that involves the public and a lot of other stakeholders. It's not done with the flick of a pen, you know, issuing a new memo. That's not how it works. So fundamentally, when somebody says to me, do the guidelines even matter anymore? Absolutely, I feel like they do. And again, I know that I am a, a biased observer. But I think that the evidence is pretty clear that, you know, while I would not in any way say that these memoranda are transitory from the Department of Justice. I take them very seriously and we all should. They are a different set, a different set of guidelines than the guidelines. The guidelines are law. I mean, that's, that's it, pure and simple. The sentencing guidelines are law, and that is a fundamental difference. So the upshot today is, the sentencing guidelines are not going to go away, and the sentencing guidelines still do matter. They underlie many of the standards, not only here in the United States, but worldwide for effective compliance and ethics programs. The guidelines will always matter most when you're talking about sentencing. It's even in the title. And lastly, some of these other standards might change. We don't know, but we do know that the sentencing guidelines will remain in effect. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Morehead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.